We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live, the people of the Gubby Gubby Nation, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Take A Seat Podcast. This podcast brings awareness to disability sports and supports. We are talking to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world. It's time for the uh, sponsorship read. Let's get into it. Of course, we want a website, uh, some details about their programs, and maybe where people can find them on the socials. Yeah, love it. Well, we'll start off with the website. So www.suncoastspinners.com.au is where you can find all of their upcoming information about any events, tournaments, local programs, uh, where to be and what time. Uh, Spot on, Jimmy. Great. Over to you, Cam. Definitely Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We don't know about TikTok. We we might have to get them onto TikTok, definitely. They're not a very big social media. Well, we know that they have a link tree which has all of them listed on it. So jump on their link tree and you'll be able to find it from suncoastspinners.com.au. And who are we thanking for the money? Uh, I want to uh, throw a big shout out to Bridie Keane and the rest of the board for supporting us and backing us on this venture. You guys are doing really well at this now. You're getting real pro, to be honest. (laughs) We'll we'll cut this up and it will sound beautiful when we get it to air. Love it. Let's get into it. Cameron, for what is, what, 13 minutes for you and I was two weeks for our listeners. Yes. So we can't say we're back because we're still here. We are still here. So, but we've got our next guest, Adam Hills. And the the resume is large. That's it, right? Now, for me, probably a little, I don't know, depressingly, I wasn't quite privy to all of Adam's accolades prior to the World Cup. The first introduction to Adam was, what was it? It was the World Cup promo video for, for the Wheelchair Rugby League. And it was like Adam Hills. And I'm like, oh, this is Adam Hills guy. Like, okay, like he's, everyone everyone in our group chat was talking about, oh, Adam's in the wheelchair. Like Adam's going to come play wheelchair rugby league. I was like, who's Adam? And then the, and then this guy, you know, he's, he showed up to the game. He came, supported us. And you're at, you're at my ass. Like, you've got to get a photo with Adam. You've got to get his number. You've got to get his number. You've got to get him on the podcast. Mate, I, we've got him on. I have literally grown up watching Adam Hills. My my family are massive, massive fans of Adam. So when you were going over and I was like, Adam's going to be there with the PWD team, you've got to get and see a game or you've got to get him. He'll more than likely be at Wheelchair Rugby League. Get a photo with him or even what are the chances? Maybe, maybe he'll come on the podcast with us. Just please, James, do your best. Do absolutely everything that you can to get him on. Like, please, I'm begging far, and pleading you. Far-stretched <laughs> idea. And out of nowhere, we are here. Along with many other random stories, this is a random event that somehow managed to pay off for me. So, Adam, we'd like to welcome you to take a seat with us on the Take a Seat Project. Oh, a pleasure. I, uh, what is it? <laughs> what is it? What, <laughs> what is it? signed up for? So, well. I kind of said yes. I, so I was leaving. I've just left because I work on a TV show here called The Last Leg in London. And I just left the office and I said, oh, I've got to run. I'm doing a podcast. And they went, oh, what is it? And I went... I don't know. <laughs> so that sounds like um, every guest we've had on because no one knows what we do. We don't even know what we do. It's it's actually really funny and awkward. In some, it's not awkward. Like for us, it's not awkward because we know that it's not it's not big, right? And so we get people on. We're like, have you like have you listened to an episode before? Like not asking them. Of course, you've listened to an episode before, right? But by chance, have you listened to the episode? Like, we, we are expecting <laughs> yeah, you right. to say no here, right? And they're like, oh, uh, I mean, I haven't. It's like it's okay. We get it. <laughs> I wouldn't probably listen to it anyway. So what do we do, Cam? We bring light to well, look, disability sports yeah, well, and supports. Our, our elevator pitch, we uh, talk to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world. Love it. it. And we talk about sports and supports. So 
When the TV show that I host in London, The Last League, it came about during the Paralympics in 2012 and it was like a Roy and HG for the Paralympics. And then at the end of those Paralympic Games, Channel 4 said, we'd love you guys to come back. What would you like to do? And my pitch was, how about we become a disability sports show and we do it every week and we cover whatever is going on in the world of disability sports around the world. And I think Channel 4 went, actually, here's what Channel, Channel 4 said, brilliant, we love it, let's sign you up. And so I signed up and then when it came time to make the first episode, they went, we're thinking it's more news than disability sports. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't, this isn't what I signed up for. But to be fair, talking purely about the world of disability sports on a weekly basis <laughs> might have been a bit limiting for us. Yeah. Well, that's so, like, so we're glad you brought it up because we both wanted to talk about that particularly. But then it's also, that really aligns with what we want to do. Like between Cameron and I, we've set a goal for ourselves to be involved in the Paralympics uh, sorry, the Olympics and the Paralympics for 2032 in Brisbane. Right. We want to be the ambassadors that are pushing this to the limelight and showing everyone and anyone the amazing people and everyone's abilities, not disabilities, mm. is is the biggest thing. Yeah. And I really loved – I what. thank you so much for getting me a seat to watch your show live. Oh, yeah, that yeah, was, pleasure. Uh, fantastic. And I, I really loved seeing that. And it was such a, an interesting, for me, looking at it with absolutely no context and watching the show, one, I enjoyed it. But two, I'm, I'm there sitting, I'm like, what, like, what is it? Is it, is it news? Is it comedy? Is it disability spotlight without being like, because you didn't really pronounce that. I mean, you did, but it was subliminally like, we have disabilities, but we're just, we're just presenting new sport. Yeah, the, the, probably the best way to describe the show is, is three blokes with four legs talk about the news. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it to anyone. It's one of those shows that if you had pitched it to a network, it would never have worked. But because it came out of, like, it, it, it really did come organically. It was me, it, originally it was me hosting a late night Paralympics wrap-up show. And then it became me and two other guys hosting a late night Paralympic wrap-up show. And then at the end of the Paralympics, it became, well, how about those three guys talk about the news? And when we started doing The Last Leg... The channel were actually weren't very keen on us talking about disability or sport from the get go. They yeah. were just focus on the news, just focus on the news. Disability turns people off, and it's not it's not a sports show. And weirdly for us, what really made us as a show was I reckon our third or fourth ever episode, possibly our third ever episode. And this is not a good thing in any way, shape, or form was when Oscar Pistorius shot Reva Steenkamp. And yeah. because we had been covering the Paralympics and we had history, like Alex had interviewed Oscar Pistorius, mm. the, it was, you know, right, it, we couldn't ignore it. We couldn't not talk about it. It was disability and sport and news all coming together this, at once. Yeah. And it was also something that you couldn't make light of. You had to talk about it, but you had to be genuine. Yeah. And so... We talked about it and we off the top just said, we are not going to make jokes about this. Every other every other show might try and, but we're not. This is deadly serious and we're going to discuss it as if it is so. And so that one story made us the show that we became because it gave us the right to talk about stuff that was serious if we need to. And since then, we've covered things like the Westminster attack, the assassination of Joe Cox, and we've, we've gone on air and gone, we're not going to make jokes about it. We're just going to be genuine about stuff like that. So... To describe what the show is, and and there were moments where I kind of felt like, oh, okay, we haven't talked about disability for a few weeks. Maybe we're doing disability a disservice. And then I'd have people with disabilities that would contact us and go, do you know what we really like about your show? That you don't feel you need to talk about disability every week. That you're just two, three guys with four legs talking about the news. And if you talk about your disability, great. But sometimes it's even more empowering not to. 
it's almost yeah. more empowering to do what everybody else does and not just because it's a disability thing. That's it. That's do you go through like ebbs and flows? Uh, you sort of just sort of touched onto it, like as to yeah, you literally just said it. Ebbs and flows as to what you should and shouldn't be saying in the disability world, or how to approach certain things, or how to promenade it. So, for example, between Cameron and I, <clears throat> this is going to be for for the listeners. This is going to be a repeat of the first five minutes <laughs> with Anne. <laughs> and it was like so, like when we get guests in, when we started it, it was sort of like you know, can we ask you to describe your disability and and share to the listeners? And then it was like people were like well, maybe you shouldn't because, and then internally we were like, we, we probably shouldn't because there's there's the name, there's a person before the disability. Like we don't really need to actually vocalize that or we don't need to share that whatsoever. Like, But then it was like, well, for someone that's talking about cycling and we're not sharing their disability today. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. And then it was like, well, and then I'm in my, in my head and I'm thinking, we may as well just, we're here asking hard questions. We may as well just ask the hard question. Like we're not trying to be, and I guess it really comes from that point, which is what a lot of our guests talk about is the point of curiosity versus judgment. Right. And I think yeah. that's the one thing is that we try and do is whilst we ask vulnerable questions, we want to make it, it's not forced vulnerability. Like we want to welcome you to a, a safe space where we're not judging you. It is all curiosity and it's for the point of bringing you awareness. And that's sort of to the point where I'm at now, where I was, for example, in the previous episode we just recorded, uh, it was, yeah, would you mind explaining your disability for the listeners? Oh, yeah, right. So I was born without a right foot. Well, I say without a right foot. I've got like an ankle joint on my, at the bottom of my right foot and then I had like a little stump that I could move and take weight on with a heel and then almost uh, two little toes on top of it. So it was a birth deformity, really. So I'm not an amputee, although technically I am because I had the two little toes removed yeah. <laughs> eventually. When I was about 18, they were sticking out the front of the prosthetic and they kept getting knocked and then they looked unsightly. And so, and I still have, I'm still not racked with guilt, but I still have a little weird twinge when I think about that. Cause I think about, well, I, was I being vain by getting rid of these two little toes? It certainly mm. doesn't, it looks better now. So technically I'm a bit of an, an, an amputee, I suppose, yeah. but, um, well, you I mean, remove, you remove part of the lip. Yeah. Exactly. I remove my toes. Yeah. But I still have disabled people look at me and go, yeah, but you're not a real disabled person. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that such a, this is, this was, I was sort of uh, edging on the idea of asking it with, with you or maybe not at all, but like the idea of minimal disability yeah. and, and particularly in sport. I want to try and cram that into another question, which was the need for, and relating specifically to the sport you play, the sport that I play, yeah. the need for classifications in different sports that allow accessibility to everyone. It's really tricky because, so I've, I started playing physical disability rugby league over in the UK in 2017. It's when Warrington set up the first team over here. And then, and at that point it was, if you've got a disability, come along and play. And anyone and everyone could play. And then we went out in 2018 and played the South Sydney Rabbitohs, which was tricky for me as a Rabbitohs fan. But it became clear that they have a different, almost threshold of what is considered disabled enough to play the sport. So then when the World Cup came around... That's between Australia and England. That's between so. Australia and England. Yeah. And, and by that I mean, you know, we had people who maybe were missing all the fingers on one hand. In fact, you know, our captain's missing three, four, three fingers on one hand and he's got a thumb and a very small pinky. But it affects his balance, it affects his ability to tackle, to catch, all of that kind of stuff. Whereas most of the Australian guys, there was a lot of cerebral palsy, there were more restricted movements. So it became obvious that there's a bit of a disparity there. Mm. When the World Cup came around, we realised, okay, we have to find a way to make this a level playing field. So classifications were introduced and we all had to be classified and go through Paralympic testing and all that kind of stuff. It's still, a, it's a grey area. It's a massive grey area because you don't want, 
you don't want a rugby league team full of guys who are missing three fingers because they're, you yeah, know, they're against all... a guy against a team full of people with cerebral palsy. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. it's by no means perfect, and it was pretty obvious in this past World Cup that that some of the English players. Even they weren't entirely sure how they classified with certain yeah. disabilities. <laughs> funny you should but, say. It's like, I was going to say it's, it's funny you should say that because that's how wheelchair rugby league started, though. Where Australia sent over a team to the first or second World Cup, and they spent a lot, of, uh, sent a lot of uh, high spinal cord injury players like the Paralympics do with the wheelchair rugby, and they went and played the first tournament, and realized, oh no, actually it's better to have as minimal disability as possible with more amputees or abled athletes and that as they possibly can because you get a better advantage on the field so the teams and the and the countries just adjusted the way that they played and you look at the american side that w- just flew over to england they actually have no abled athletes at all but you watch the next one, world sorry. Right. One. there they, you go they, they won but he didn't play yeah so right. for the next yeah. world cup you watch they will probably have their four or five abled athletes plus the ability to have more of those amputees opposed to spinal cord injuries so the teams i guess would probably just adjust which pwd would do as well maybe the thing I love about it is it's sport and yeah. you want to be competitive. And to be competitive, you need to have the best players playing the sport. And in this scenario, if you're classified as having a disability and if the sport only needs you to be classified to have a disability, then that's fair slather, right? Yeah. You're going to pick the best players with the least limiting factors to enable the, but they're still able to do the specific actions required, for example. So in wheelchair rugby league, Australia, I feel, had the most abled team at the right. World Cup. Yeah. We had Adam Turnick. Peter Arbuckle, Zach Schumacher, Schumacher. Liam Luff, Grove, Brad Grove, yeah. Liam Luff, Craig Kinane, Rick didn't get on. So myself, Bailey, Corey Kinane, Diab, and Sean, all ABs. Right. Right. So five, five of the 12 traveling. Yeah. Five are ABs. But then of our starting five, right? So for example, you had Peter Arbuckle, below knee amputee, Adam Tannock, below knee amputee. Zach Schumacher, Schumacher, hips. Hip yeah. replacement, multiple right. hip replacements, and, and some serious ongoing effects from that. And Brad, Brad Grove, Grove, spinal cord, uh, low. Injury. And it was just like, you're looking at the team and you're like, that is, there's no, like other than Brad, there wasn't anyone out there that had a disability that influenced, in my opinion, this is how I, I think about it. Mm. No one on that court other than Brad had a disability that was impacting their ability to move the chair. Right. And this is, right. this is the great conundrum of disability sport is in no other sport, like in able-bodied sport, you don't have to balance inclusion with competition. Yeah. You just want the most competitive team on the pitch. But when you're talking about disability sport, you want it to be inclusive as well. And and we've got in physical disability rugby league, there are people at the more restricted state of movement, so cerebral palsy, who are leaving the game because they're getting smashed by people who have had two knee replacements. Now, if you want to put the best team possible on, you'll put a team of knee replacements out there. If you want to be inclusive, you'll make sure everyone gets a go. And there's always going to be that weird balance. And in fact, there was a really interesting thing that came up. So Physical Disability Rugby League was invented in Sydney. There was a guy called George Tonner who had um, represented Australia in the Paralympics in soccer, I believe, who said, "I, I want to play rugby league. How do we do this? And a guy called Dave Smith came up with the rules. He went away and came up with a whole bunch of rules. And one of the rules, for instance, was a knock-on is not an automatic handover. It's just to play the ball. It counts as a tackle. Because you got people with cerebral palsy with one arm, with balance issues, 
there's going to be more dropped ball. And he, it was only through trial and error. The, fir- the first time they played it, people dropped the ball and he was like, oh, this game is terrible. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to write that down because I think we need to add that to a TRL cam. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. So that was, that was the first the first thing. And so Dave basically wrote all the rules of physical disability rugby league 10 years ago, however long ago it was in Sydney. And so we were at the final of the, of the World Cup, physical disability rugby league World Cup, final was at Halliwell Jones Stadium. It was after France v Samoa. Two to 3,000 people were watching it. And I said to him, man, you must be so happy with how far it's come. And he went, I am, but I've got a tiny little niggle. And I went, what's that? And he said, there's one rule that I wrote, which was you can't tackle someone harder than they run at you. And he said, now I know it's virtually impossible to enforce, but what it does is it, there's a sense of fair play about it. If you've got someone with cerebral palsy running at you and they're not particularly fast or stable, you can't just go up and smash them and bury them. You like, can't, it's you can't Sonny, Bill shoulder, Sonny Bill Williams shoulder charge them and just send them flying. Absolutely. And that's where the inclusion aspect of it comes, where you've got to find a way to let everyone have a go. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet, the same, by the same point, we're athletes. We don't want to just be out there letting everyone have a go. We want to be trying to win. That's so it. there's always going to be a constant balancing act in disability sport and especially when it's like a contact sport. So was he wanting to remove that or was he wanting to? No, he was wanting to it put back in because he said it, okay, yeah. this wasn't being followed this wasn't being followed in the World Cup. Yeah. And eventually the referees did start going okay, like almost treating it like an overzealous tackle I think is what they have in union perhaps. Mm-hmm. But it, it's there's always going to be a grey area. Yeah. We know that with disability sport. But how do you – like I've talked to the to the chair of the wheelchair rugby as opposed to wheelchair rugby league in yeah. the UK. Yeah. And he said we had to make some really tough decisions as to what can, what was the cutoff point for disability. And he said we, we had to ask ourselves who needs this sport. Yeah, that's – oh, that's, that's a good one. That, he said that's the most important question that it came down to. Who needs the sport? The guy that's had a couple of knee reconstructions or – the guy with a spinal injury who can't move his legs at all. Yeah. Who needs it? And I think with physical disability rugby league, we are starting to ask a few of those. Because at the moment here in the UK, and I'm on the board over here in the UK, they're just trying to get as many people as possible playing the sport. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> because rugby league isn't the biggest sport over here. But eventually you have to ask yourself, you know, I mean, we've, we've had a couple of people turn up over here to play. Like Sean Briscoe, so we had able-bodieds for a while. Sean Briscoe played as the Warrington able-bodied. Now, he played for England, Hull, Widness, like top flight, okay? And he turned up for one game, and one of the disabled guys on the other team said, oh, we used to play against each other in Super League. Yeah. And Sean was like, and what's your disability? He went, arthritis. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. So oh. arthritis from playing top-level rugby league isn't a disability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the only way you can really, and we, we talked about it in the last board meeting, the only way you can really enforce it is to basically call it a taking the piss rule. Yeah. And you know, you know, you can't really quantify when someone's taking the piss, but you know it when you see it. Yeah, that's such a that's such a great point because back home, the local wheelchair basketball club that I'm a part of and, and somewhat run in some fashion or belief, we really have been going through in the last couple of years because we've been expanding so well, right? Yeah. We've gone from back in 2000, I don't know when, it's 10 years ago, four people playing regularly. Yeah. And now we have a regular attendance of 30. Right. right. And it's to the point where it's like ABs are in chairs, everybody athletes are in chairs. We've got everyone with disabilities from every sort of, of any spectrum that you can think of, CP, stroke. So one lady has no use right. of her entire left-hand side. Right. Yeah. We've got her out there in the chair getting around. And, it's, and it is that question is who is this sport for? Mm. And it is such a difficult question. You can't 
I don't like. I feel like the committee and the and the, the group that manage it probably put a bit too much pressure on themselves in answering it yeah, as quick yeah. as possible. Yeah. But it is something that every sports club, I think, for the point of inclusion, and because socially that's the most important thing is inclusion. Yeah. At high performance level, but well, that, that's where it gets a little more complicated. It, it is competition. You're there to win. Of course, yeah. We've also had that conversation before, James, is where, you know, that we get to, is it at an international level where you actually bring in classifications, but then at the local level, it's about the most inclusiveness as you possibly can get. And that might be abled athlete involvement. It could be as limited and going back to arthritis or something where it's a simple disability. It's very inclusive and you need those grassroots volunteers. And most reasons why people be a volunteer of a sport is because they want to play it or they want to be involved and actually you don't want to just be a volunteer half the time you want to actually play the sport and then once you've had enough of playing the sport you transfer over as a volunteer or someone that can help out so you know it also comes down to that factor. or a mother or father obviously yeah yeah yeah. and and it comes down to that factor of what level of the sport are you playing are you playing international where you need as many classification rules as possible that means the teams are as even as possible at the best way or are you going for inclusivity Yeah. And then you don't want, you know, for example, we've got A's, B's and C's, right? So I'm an A because I'm only missing a little bit of my foot. You've got B's who might be missing a whole arm or an above knee amputee. And then you've got C's who have got quite restrictive cerebral palsy. You know, you don't want then your biggest bloke going, right, I'm going to run at the guy with cerebral palsy. Let's make a mismatch. Yeah, let's get a mismatch, boys. Yeah. And yet, by the same token... Our guys with cerebral palsy don't want to be treated with kid gloves. They yeah. don't want to be patronised. Yeah. So I think at some point you've got to re- remember that it's, there's always going to be a grey area. But like, what's more heartbreaking, someone walking away from the sport going, well, turns out I'm not disabled enough to play, yeah. or someone walking away going, well, it turns out I'm too disabled to play. Which are both scenarios that actually happen on a regular basis. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Look at the, the wheelchair basketball. Right. So Australians wheelchair basketball, the women's yeah. and the men's, had huge cuts to their teams in the last World Cup uh, yeah. sorry, and Paralympics because they didn't meet IPC regulations of having a disability. Right. Or being classified to play wheelchair basketball. I mean, and look, you know, the, the first Paralympics I ever covered was for the ABC in 2008, so it was Beijing. And we were told stories of, you know, people that were, were told, right, the you've good news and the bad news or the bad news and the good news. The bad news is your eyesight isn't poor enough to qualify for this Paralympics. But the good news is it's degenerative. Yeah. <laughs> so in four years' time, you are in. <laughs> or you get cerebral palsy or athletes with cerebral palsy <clears throat> whose cerebral palsy is helped by training. Yeah. Like the more you train, the more you can control your, you know, the the effects of cerebral palsy. Yeah. So then you're playing cerebral palsy football, so you train every week. And your, but your, you train yeah, to the point where they go, well, you don't have enough symptoms anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you need to stop training. But so, it even comes back <laughs> that what you say there also makes me think of one of the episodes on your last leg where uh, uh, Booker was saying that you know he has to actually represent to the doctor and show that he has a missing leg. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I guess that's. It's exactly the same. I mean, life is in sport. You know, if you want benefits, you've got to turn up and prove that you've got a disability. But then, how do you? Like, <laughs> oh, funny story. Sebastian, mm-hmm. two episodes ago, twenty-two. Se- yeah, Sebastian Bashara. Yeah, he was telling a story. I don't know if it was on podcast or not, but um, I think I don't think it was. But he was telling me he has to do the same thing in France. You don't get any supports unless you're classified as having a disability over eighty percent. Interesting, right? Right. So he shows up out of his wheelchair, without his stump, crying. 
has to push himself up on his bum with wow. hands, crying like I get no, I'm, I'm I've, I've got nothing in life. Like I'm depressed, and he's and he because ha- you have to, otherwise yeah. you get nothing. Yeah. Unless you're classified as having disability over eighty percent, right? Or being disabled eighty percent. I don't know how that works, but well, and then whatever. there was that thing here where they changed the rules. So I think the rules used to be if you could walk a hundred meters unaided, then you were fine. You don't get benefits. And then they went, actually, we're going to change it to 50 metres. What's the, like, what happens between that 50 and 100 that they've now gone, actually, no, you're fine? Yeah. I guess it's the same, the same thing, really. Where do you draw the line, whether it's sport or benefits or all that kind of stuff? That's it. We spoke with Kimberly Alcamade. Right. Uh, and she was saying that in the Netherlands, if you can walk, you don't get anything at all. Really? So their disability sex- sector is designed to enable an individual to walk, and that's that's all they have to do. Right. If you can walk, you're fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter how far you can walk. Yeah. They don't have expectations that an individual should, should be able to sprint or should be able to play a sport or whatnot. So she's trying to change that in the Right. The Take a Seat podcast is in your ears thanks to the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a wheelchair-based sporting club. They run social inclusion programs, including but not limited to basketball and rugby. If you want to get involved with the Suncoast Spinners programs, you can just rock up at Mergen, Morayfield and Sippy Downs on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays or contact them on Instagram, Facebook or their website www.suncoastspinners.com.au. The Suncoast Spinners programs are for people of all ages and abilities. They're looking for players, officials and volunteers to help with all of their programs. So make sure you check out the Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram or on their website again, www.suncoastspinners.com.au. I find the vision that Ludwig Gutmann had in 1948 to create the Stoke Mandeville games for people in wheelchairs, the effects that that has had to, to, you know, us, however many years later, I'm not going to do the math in my head, 72, 74 years later, talking about benefits and disability sport and how it affects people in the real world and what's a disability and what's not. Like, all of this came from that tiny little thing that he kind of came up with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's led to us then discussing, is- you know, the benefits of sport on, on disabilities. Well, I mean, it's never going to be perfect in our world, I guess, but it's always going to keep changing and it's going to get better. Well, and as you said before, I think the one of the interesting things you said before is it's still sport and it's still rugby league. And, you know, one of the one of the biggest wake-up calls that we had when we started playing was Sean Briscoe coming along and saying to us, right, <laughs> if you've got someone running at you with a disability you, you, about to tackle you, you've got to work out what the disability is and work out how to use it against them. Yes. yes. And we were, uh, yeah, we were kind of shocked. And he's like, if the guy's got no arm on his left-hand side, step him on his left-hand side. What do you, you guys are... Stepping him on the arm or he's on the side where he's yeah, got an arm. Yeah. And part of you goes, well, this feels really harsh. But then eventually another part of you, as you were saying before, just goes, it's sport. This is what happens in sport. And I guess this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning about how you said the American team came over here with one able-bodied player for yeah. the wheelchair rugby league world cup. And then they next they'll go back and go, Oh, okay, I see how we need to improve ourselves as a team. And we need to get more able-bodied players. Perhaps. I mean, I don't think they will because their so, their social perception of wheelchair-based sports are that it's only for those with a disability. But interesting. Right. It'll be it'll be it will be that will be a very scenario. interesting sure. situation as to with America. But even then, you, you look at, as you just said, Adam, uh, James and I are both Melbourne Storm supporters, even though you're a South, we'll, we won't hold that against you. But <laughs> okay, we're okay. We're good. You, we're good. You look at how Melbourne Storm, and everyone says it, but even wheelchair rugby league, James and I do it at local level and all the way through to international. You find the rule book. Clubs are now 
mm. uh, getting a referee in-house to read the rule book to then bend the rules in your favor. Because once you can, as you said, if you can step someone on their left-hand side where they don't have an arm, you've got an advantage. Yep. So take that advantage. If you're looking at the NRL, they've got the salary cap. So there's people that are trying to bend the salary cap or whatever the hell it is to get their advantage. Is it cheating? No. Is it, you know, what 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 way are you going to get around the book, rule books to be the best team or the best advantage that you can in a sporting yeah. aspect? Yeah. yeah. Cam, we're gonna, can you please shuffle the cards and yes. draw three? I have to take the Joker, though. Seeing as Adam's a stand-up comedian, I have to give him the Joker. Okay. Okay. Well, you can pull that one out. We've got deck of cards. Yep. Questions that our guests have either given to us, listeners, Cameron, ourselves. Some of them are just vulnerable questions we've found online. Ooh, okay. They're all in a deck of cards. Cameron's yep. got about 40-odd of them. He's going to yep. shuffle it right now, so he's not going to see him other than the Joker. He's going to pull that one out and use that one. Okay. And he's going to shuffle it around. He's going to pull out three. We've only got time, to think. I think, to answer one. So we'll, okay. we'll ask well, this all we can th- probably do a few. We'll ask all three, and then we'll go from there and see okay. how you feel. Really quickly, just touch back. Last night I was scrolling through Facebook on the, on the videos. I spend way too much time. I actually hate it. But I came across a video and I thought it was going to be perfect for this because it's exactly what you just said. It was soccer, I think. I don't know the name of it specifically, but it was physical disability soccer. So the, it was a penalty shootout and the one guy is on crutches had one leg and the keeper had one arm. <laughs> and he kicked it to the side with the arm. And the meme quote was, I'm no professional, but I think I'd have kicked it to his left side. <laughs> And I'm there looking at uh, like, I want to laugh. I want to laugh. That's like, I'm like, this is such a mind kerfuffle. Like, oh my God, that's so bad. I, I, it's, you have to laugh at that, right? But then oh. to the point where when we're playing PD Rugby League, if we're being smart about it, when we line up in the defensive line, okay, so we've got Bryce. Bryce Crane was amazing. He was player of the tournament and he was he played for Australia. He played for the West Tigers. What's the reserve? Yeah, Jersey Flag and, and uh, I think it was New Jersey Flag Club. Yeah, it was something like that. At age seventeen, ripped ripped all the nerves out of his shoulder, Gross. making a tackle. Can't move that shoulder anymore. So he plays in a brace under his under his um, jersey. And so we line up in our defensive line for the first day of training, and he's like to the person on his right. I think it's his right shoulder. Just went. You're going to have to cover me. You're going to have to work extra hard on my right hand side in defence because I can't. Yeah. So. Exactly. Like, if you know what, you know, because then you start second guessing. Maybe the guy with one leg was thinking, well, he's probably going to expect me to go to his side without an arm. And that's, that's so I'll double bluff him. I'll go back to the other side. Oh, wow. Talk about penalty shootouts. Oh, my God. Last night. Yeah. That was unreal. Sport, sport. This is why disability sport is so great, though, because sport is drama. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like sport, if you look at the World Cup, you've got Messi, you've got Di Maria, you've got their whole story, you've got the young gun in Mbappe. If you look behind the sport, you find the drama. You the didn't even that... touch on the referees. No, exactly. <laughs> the thing about disability sport is the drama's built in. Yeah, like everyone's yeah. already got a story. You don't even have to know what that one-legged goal kicker's story is. The fact that he's got one leg, you know there's a story behind it. Yeah. So this yeah. is this is why I'll always espouse disability sport because there's much. there are much better stories. I remember... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I remember one of our favourite moments, and I think it was in 2012. Might have been in Rio, though. <laughs> it was a comment. You know, the same thing. When you're just, you know, a, a sprinter gets up and you have to describe the disability. Just the most amazing moments. This commentator, in deadly serious, was was talking about a runner from another country, and he said, of course, he lost the sight in one eye after an unfortunate accident with the family donkey. And we started to go, <laughs> and he went, <laughs> Three years later, lost the sight in the, in the other eye from the same donkey. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and it's it's sad and it's tragic, yeah. but it's also like, well, that's his story. That's <laughs> 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 Oh, right. insane right. donkey. <laughs> My mind goes, what was that donkey and him doing to be able to get that twice? So many questions. So many questions are raised from that. Oh. <laughs> if he didn't learn the first time, he certainly learned the oh, second man. time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, hit me with a card. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. so we've got, we got a joker card, we got a ten of hearts, and we got a seven of spades. And I will start off with question okay. number one. Is there anyone you are jealous of and why? <sighs> can we go, Can we run through them? I'm just conscious of, I don't want to keep yeah, going yep. here too long. No, 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 that's fine. Let, let me go. I, I've probably got, no, oh, I'll give you another ten minutes. Oh, I, oh, okay, anyone I'm it. jealous of and why? No, no, not really. I don't, I don't think jealousy's. Like I, 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 jealousy, jealousy's not worth hanging on to. But I tell you what, here's okay. Here's what it's not quite a jealousy thing. But when I was twelve, I was asked if I would like to try out for. I don't know. I remember my mum calling it the disabled games. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering that. But it was basically, would you like to try out for the Paralympics? And at age twelve, I didn't consider myself disabled. And and certainly not disabled enough to compete against other people with disabilities. I had no idea that there were classifications. I was like, I can't, I can't sprint against a guy that's got no legs. Yeah. I'm barely miss. I'm just missing toes, basically. <laughs> had I known now, had I known then what I know now about the Paralympics, I totally would have competed. I mean, and maybe, you know, look, maybe if I had, I wouldn't have played disability rugby league which, with such gusto now at the age of 52. So... I'm kind, if there was a jealousy, like I know everything works out for a reason and it's a sliding doors moment and where I am now, I wouldn't change where I am now for anything in the world. But there's a little part of me when I think of the word jealousy, I think of that 12-year-old possibly turning down the chance to compete in Paralympics. Yeah. So if anything, I'd, I'd say I was, do you know who I was jealous of? At the 2012 Paralympics when GB team came out into the London Stadium and We Can Be Heroes played and fireworks went off over the top of them. I was kind of jealous of the me that missed out on that. Yeah. yeah. Or the me that could have, could have do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I'm jealous of them because they got to do it and the the me, I'm not quite sure how I'm wording that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I was jealous of them getting to do that and me missing out. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome because it's exactly that, that you you know, you never know if you don't take that sliding doors moment and you've got to take the moment. You you may not have been on this podcast if James didn't actually just ask you, hey, look, we got a podcast. Would you want to come on? Oh, look, and look, the thing is, and I guess why I don't really think I'm jealous of anyone is because I'm kicking goals at them. Like, I'm so happy with where I am right now. I'm in London. I host a TV show. I also get to host Channel 4's rugby league coverage. I represented Australia in the Physical Disability Rugby League World Cup this year. Things are great. Plenty of things. So there's, no, there's nothing I feel like I've missed out on. But, I, you know, it's the, not the so fireworks much. fireworks would have been pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fireworks yeah. would have been great. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Question, question number, number two. two. Yeah. What has been said by a coach or someone like a teammate that sat wrong with you? Oh, that is a great question. I was expecting you to go, you know, that has sat with you forever. But what's something that's been said? Good question, Ken. Oh, by a coach or a teammate. I, 
I'm a big believer in team culture. I remember being at a, an AFL grand final luncheon over here at Australia House and they had a couple of ex-players on the stage, both of whom had won grand finals. And they were asked the question, what separated those grand final winning teams from other teams that you'd played in? And they both gave the same answer, which was team culture. And they said, some teams you turn up to and they just respect the jersey and the history of the club. And one of them was talking about, I think it was playing for the Swans and you turn up there on your first day and you're, you're shown your jersey, but you're not given it. You don't give it, you don't get it until you earn it. I was, uh, I, was I mean, you know, I was in the England camp before they played the semi-final of the Rugby League World Cup, the, you know, the men's this year. And just, it was all about team culture and taking your plates back after every meal. And like, I'm a big believer in all of those the little positive one percenters. Yeah. So, but I'm also a grumpy old turd. So I get really annoyed when my teammates aren't doing those one percenters. Do you know what I mean? Like when you yeah, turn up yeah, for training yeah. and you go, oh, I've left me boots on the bus. And like, I get it. We all make mistakes. But oh, no, I'll be fine. You're like, no, no, it's not fine. You, those little, I get that we make mistakes, but all those little things make a difference. And like, for instance, when we played Wales, <laughs> when we played Wales in the World Cup, they started stamping their feet and singing. And they were like, it was some Welsh mountain song and it reverberated through our dressing room. And someone looked at me and went, Hilsey, we need some, we need a bit of uh, Akadaka here because <laughs> I was in charge of the music. So I pumped up Thunderstruck. <laughs> yes. Na -na 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 -na. And I pounded the lockers on the thunder, thunder. And I was like, come on, everybody, bloody do it with me because we need to shake their dressing room. And our lads, like some of them did, and some of them were like, yeah, and the others were like, oh, I don't know. And you're like, no, come yeah, on. Yeah. This is what it's about. This is playing top-level sport is also about those little things. It's about bringing the positive energy at all times. So those little things really, really annoy me too much, and I know I need to pull back on it. But one thing that happened during the World Cup was, you know, we brought 20 players over, 17 were named per game. So there's always going to be three players that miss out. Yeah. And... I think for our final game, coach hadn't actually named the team, but he had got a training, you know, two teams on the training pitch. And then one of the one of the players basically said, Look, I didn't I didn't fly all the way over here just to sit on the sidelines. And I remember thinking, dude, you did. You can't someone has to. Because that was the thing that came out of that AFL lunch was both of the players on stage agreed, and one of them said this amazing thing. He said, because when you get to the grand final, it's probably the guy that comes off the bench with a minute to go who's going to win the game for you. Or if not probably, it might be. So you want that guy to be ready and zoned in and focused. And he said, in fact, not even that. You want the guys that weren't picked, that are injured or that didn't make the team on the day, you want them dialed in and completely committed to the team culture. Because if they are everyone will be. So for me, the thing that sat, and I, I don't want to single this guy out because I feel really bad. I get where he was coming from, but someone's got to sit on the sideline. We you had, know what I mean? Yeah, we had similar things in the wheelchair game. Yeah, exactly. Wheelchair league game. And yeah. it's a pain and it hurts. But what's also important is to impress upon that person that sitting on the sideline is as important yeah, that, that's than the every the single person out has there. magnitude that follows on from their, their presence alone, their attitude alone on the sideline will resonate across the whole team. I was at an Ashes function a couple of years back and um, Justin met Justin Langer and they had just won the first test over here. And I was like, did you see that coming? And he said, I did because there's a really good vibe. And he said, I, I was taught a thing and it was from a, from a rugby union book that he had read which was pick the best players in your country, right, and then make a list of the people from that, like your big long list from that that you want to share a dressing room with. 
And he said, because yeah. they're the people you take on tour. And he even started naming a couple of players. And he went, for example, this bloke. And he even said it. He said, Marnus Labashan. Yeah. He said, Marnus Labashan probably won't get a game this whole test series. But he's the best bloke to have in the dressing room because he gets everyone's spirits up. He said, so I will, even if he doesn't face a ball for this whole series, he is picked in the team. He didn't know that then the next game Steve Smith was concussed. Marnus Lavashan had to step Steve up, Jim. played his own. Yeah, absolutely he's, blows it out. Yeah. 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 So, But I thought that was fascinating. And I just, Gosh. every team I play in, I try and tell these stories because I want everyone to know that even if you're not picked, even if you don't make it onto the pitch, by being on the sideline, by being a positive voice, you are still contributing to that team. And it's really hard when you're that person to have everyone go, no, 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 you deserve this medal as much as we do because you're like, dude, I didn't even get on the pitch. But as someone who's been on the pitch, you totally deserve that medal as much as everybody else. So your input is as important as everybody else's. But it's also the How's fact that, that – No, 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 that's, that's perfect. That's fucking sensational. It's, <laughs> it's also the fact that, you know, those reserves, uh, you know, if your reserves are as best as humanly possible and they're, your reserves are better than any other team, you're training better, you're going up against the best competition, which means that you have to earn yes. your spot, which means that the next person at the other club is like, oh, yeah, I, I can just turn up today. I'm going to be in the team. Whereas you're like, oh, hell no. Like, I've actually got to earn my spot. Otherwise, that guy's going to take my team and, and he's going to play in the grand final and I'm not. You look at uh, Penrith Panthers the last two years, all the way through to their top 35 players or something, one of them was the only player that didn't play on representative round this year. That's 34 players out of 35 that played it. Yeah. That's why they won the back-to-back premierships. It's And that's a rugby league, let alone disability sport or anything like that. You, your best players need to be pushing through at the top level. I was so when I was in, I was invited, like I said, to the England camp the night before their semi final. And Sean Wayne was telling me, and I forget the name of the player, but one of the players that was dropped, he had to like basically say, You're not going to play this game. And he said his, his head went down for a day. You get, you, you get that, you expect that. And he said, but, but by the end of it, I said, Right, I need you at training. I need your kicking game because we need to put our fullback under pressure. And he said, If he had just turned up and gone through the motions, then we're not progressing as a team. Yeah. yeah. He turned up dialed in like put in the best kicks he could probably get, he could probably put, possibly put in to test the fullback so that then the fullback goes into the game knowing, right, I've had a good run out. So, yeah, it, it, it's for me, I just, you know, it's such a such a simple thing. And, it, you know, it doesn't just come down to, to sport, you know, the same making a TV show. You want everybody dialed in. You want everyone to feel part of the process. If anyone's just phoning it in or not feeling included, then they're not going to give you their best. So, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm all for those one percenters. All righty. We'll, we'll cruise on to the next... We can do one, one more. Go yeah, on, we next can do one, one Next one? All righty. The last one we have, which actually happens to be the Joker. Apart mm-hmm. from family, who would you say is most proud of you? Oh, whoa. Yeah, these are the hard Apart parts. from family. I've got... Do you know what? I've got a mate in Sydney, and I'll say his name. His name's Dave Smeet, and he will often say that he is proud of me. And... And I think in this particular instance, probably because I'm talking to you guys, when I first found, so he's a Rabbitohs fan as well. And when I first found out about physical disability rugby league, I remember texting him going, I just found out that there's PDRL. And my thinking was I could play for the Rabbitohs. And I might have even yeah. texted him and gone, there's a Rabbitohs team. I think I can play for South Sydney. And his text came back, you could play for Australia. And I had never even considered that, that I could possibly play for Australia. And the whole way along this journey towards the World Cup, I just kept thinking of him going, oh, my God, yeah, if, I might not have even aimed at that if not for him. And so he would message me during the World Cup going, really proud of what you've done. And I think it was just a reminder for me that 
that yeah, like he kind of made me realize it was possible. I mean, look, there's I, I don't know who else is proud of me, but I know that he has told me that he is. So I think it's it's one of those things. It's such a small piece for someone to say mm. that carries so much to the individual. I mean, probably don't in everyday life. Anyone probably doesn't say it too often. Which is, and I feel like it's sometimes the people that not family, not so close to us, that we actually mm. take it on board more. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your family will always say that they're proud yeah, of you. Yeah. And there's a, and what what I've noticed is that when it was announced, I think it was announced on you know that that I'd be playing for the Australian team. Even my managers or my agents, people that have booked me onto the Royal Variety Show or have arranged for me to go to Buckingham Palace to meet the Queen, they were sending me emails going, "Oh my God, you're going to play for Australia." Like, and and this is and the reason I'm bringing this up isn't to to kind of big note myself. It's to kind of make two points in that the importance of disability sport because people with disabilities would never have thought that they'd have the chance to represent Australia or their country, whatever their country is. And you know, I had a big big back and forth with Sean Briscoe, who was the England coach, because he technically I qualify for England. And so he was going, well, who are you going to play for? And eventually I had to take him aside and go, listen, because he's one of my best mates. And I said, I'm, I'm going to declare for Australia because I don't get butterflies. I don't get heart flutters when I think of playing for England. And he said, well, technically you should grow a foot when you put on your country's jersey. And I was like, well, <laughs> in my case, that would stop me from playing disability rugby. <laughs> but, but I played the best game of my life for Australia. Like I, the, the second game I played was against Wales. Coach afterwards said, mate, it's the best game of footy I've ever seen you play. The English coaches who've seen me play all my games over here have just said, honestly, that is the best you've ever played. So for me to think I did grow another foot, like I played my best ever rugby league for Australia is a buzz that I didn't sleep till I couldn't sleep that night. And I used to get that with stand-up comedy. <laughs> now yeah. I'm like, yep, gig's done, go to bed. <laughs> so to have that buzz, people with disabilities don't always get that. But the real takeaway that I got from disability sport and from the World Cup is something that I heard someone else say, so I can't claim it, which is people with disabilities don't ever get to feel part of a team. It's not just the sport. It's that, you know that thing, when you're part of a team, that bond that you form with those other people that you'll have for the rest of your lives because you've put your bodies on the line for each other in a game and you've stood shoulder to shoulder and you're now there. Like there's a guy over here, Rob Burrow, who played for Leeds, who has motor yeah, neuron yeah. disease. So Kevin Sinfield Kevin said, what has raised over, ex-player has raised over two million pounds for motor neuron disease research. And I interviewed Kevin Sinfield a couple of weeks ago and I said, is there a thing that when you've put your body on the line for your mate, you'll do it off the pitch as well? And he said, more than that, he said, I was his captain. I was his captain for 13 years. And when you're someone's captain, that never ends. When just because you stop playing together doesn't mean I'm not his captain anymore. So I'm in, I feel like I'm his captain in life. So that feeling, that camaraderie that people who've played in a team will get and people who haven't played in a team might, might not get, that's why disability sport is important because it gives people with a disability not just the chance to be active and play the sport, but to get that feeling that you only get when you play with a team. So that's... All of that. I can't even remember what the question was now. Sense of belonging. It's it's that's the importance of sport. Sense that's of- the importance of, of disability sport. And I guess you know that's why I think back to my mate Dave Smeet, who said you could play for Australia because if that one sentence propelled me to aim for it and then walk away going, wow, that that was so much more of an experience than I imagined it could be.
Yeah, that's exactly. That's it. fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do. Have, we are. Uh, we say, are going to have to. We're going to have to wrap it up. Oh, I want to steal one. Oh. Not even Adam. It's it's the booking. Yeah, oh, it's that's the booking, right. is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't feel quite say, so bad. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have said, "Yeah, let's keep talking." Sorry. Oh, no, Sorry. Because I just um, want to. I was going to say the only reason I wanted to ask it was because I think it was how the last leg is so successful. Maybe you can get it off air, James, because I won't be able to. Why the last leg is so successful, and you and I don't have a disability. How we can make this so successful on the back end of it because we, that's what we're trying to be is successful without having a disability and the roadblocks that we've come up against as to talking about disability with people. I would say the the, the reason Last Leg is successful is I define, refine it down to team culture, but I'd say chemistry, just mm. chemistry. Not When you're with the right people and you're zinging off each other and you know it and you feel it, then that's obvious to the people that are watching or listening. And um, persistence and chemistry, <laughs> and that's that's not being reductive. That's genuine. If you've got a chemistry and a bit of a zing, one of the things that my manager taught me is uh, said to me recently: everyone has to learn that they're not magic. And after making Spicks and Specs in Australia, we all went off and did our own different things, but they were never quite the same as Spicks and Specs. Yeah. And then when Alex and Josh and I found the last leg, we kind of kind of went, "Oh, we've got that. We've got that. Let's just keep doing it." So genuinely, persistence and Team culture. Marcus the Machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who do you want in the locker room? B, yeah, B-M-L, hang on, B, what What would Marcus Labashan do? <laughs> W-W-M-L-D, something along those lines. I would say, uh, I would say B, B-M-L, B Marcus Labashan. Yes, there you go, yeah, B Marcus yeah. Labashan. Yeah, That'll do it. B-M-L. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast, but most importantly, sharing it with people you think it will impact the most. Before we go, again, a massive thanks to our sponsor, the Sunco Spinners. The Sunco Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow the Sunco Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at sunkospinners.com.au. 